Hey everybody, I'm Eddie Starr, and this is the College of Rock and Roll Knowledge. Class is now in session. This is where the music and culture that shaped a generation live on, and my own path through the world of rock and roll. In early 1977, I had just turned eight years old, and I was in third grade, and that was the first time I heard about the Sex Pistols. And I went home, and I was talking to a friend of mine in the neighborhood, and my parents overheard me mention the Sex Pistols, and they were quite upset. And that is why I have a memory of the first time I heard about them. I don't think if my parents hadn't freaked out, I would have remembered it. (laughs) But in this podcast, I'm not really going to talk about the band story and how they got together. Um, You can get Steve Jones's uh, biography, Lonely Boy, which is really great. I recommend that. Um, Also, I Was a Teenage Sex Pistol by Glenn Matlock. Anger is an Energy by John Lydon, a.k.a. Johnny Rotten. And then, of course, there's the great films of Julian Temple, The Filth and the Fury, which was done right after they won the lawsuit, um, getting back their, uh, the band's legacy from uh, Malcolm McLaren. And also, there will always be in England the band live at uh, Brixton Academy in 2007. Today I'm going to talk about the myths around the band and the scandal. More than any other band in the history of rock and roll, the Sex Pistols had mythology, scandal, controversy, so much so that with putting out one great album and four singles, the legacy And the echo of what they did back in the 70s is inspiring people today to put bands together. And uh, their work is, I mean, well, never mind the bollocks. That is rock and roll. Anyway, here's one thing that I specifically remember about that time, because... I heard about the Sex Pistols, but I didn't hear their music. And I don't think a lot of people really did. But the amount of uh, controversy they generated really echoed across the pond from London to California, all over the world. And uh, anyway, like I said, I was just a kid and I heard about them at school. We were allowed to take the class uh, turntable out to the playground, as I've mentioned in other podcasts. And I was introduced to a lot of bands that way because the kids, you know, classmates would bring their records from home. And I heard the Ramones, I heard Blondie, uh, Cheap Trick, but I didn't hear the Sex Pistols. I think it was about 1982. I finally heard, uh, heard their great record. Never mind the bollocks. The first, I guess you could say, myth that people talked about at school was uh, that if you played the record, that something would happen to you. 
something, you know, something would either physically happen to you or you're hearing and it would be very difficult for you. <laughs> there, you know, something would happen, which is sort of funny. And then there, of course, was a myth that they couldn't play and it was just, it was like a sort of like a monkeys or some type of gimmick band. And of course the band and their management had a hand in this. And that myth was perpetuated through the film, the great rock and roll swindle. And of course they brought in uh Sid vicious after Glenn Matlock quit the band and Sid vicious really couldn't play bass. Steve Jones gave him lessons, but, uh, heroin is what destroyed him. And that's one other controversy of the band. And also too, I think that, uh, up until the mid nineties, when they came back, there were so many shirts with Sid Vicious on it. And, um, it's almost like he became the visual icon of the band by default, just because he died of an OD. A rock and roll cliche. But in 1996, when they came back, they more than proved that they could play. And with the original lineup and Glenn Matlock back there, they, I, I was at two of their shows in Los Angeles in 1996. And, uh, that was something that, uh, that's something that I cherish. I really do cherish that I was there and I saw them because I mean, <laughs> all of those songs, hearing them live, uh, Steve Jones, iconic guitar sound, Johnny Rotten, his vocals, just the whole vibe, the rhythm section, they, they, they kick ass. There's not much more I can say about that. But then, you know, ask any punk and they'll tell you the Sex Pistols are really it. <laughs> you can talk about any other band, but that one record really, uh, that changed a lot of people. And speaking along these lines, this comes to our, uh, the third myth about them. I met so many people who talked about being at one of their shows back in the day. And, uh, that was an impossibility it had to be an impossibility, but all these people swore that they were at the show and that they were there or they had something to do with the band. And you would meet a lot of these people in Los Angeles, that's for sure. I heard several people claim different things about the band. And uh, when I read Steve Jones' book, Lonely Boy, he sort of addresses that, I believe. So you should definitely check out his book. Then there are the great scandals. Uh, when they were on EMI, they booked them on the Today Show with Bill Grundy in uh, London. And of course, he was a notorious drunk and antagonized them. And between Johnny Rotten and Steve Jones and their stream of F-words and craziness, that infamous show put them on every the front of every newspaper in England. And to this day, 
I mean, you can see the clip on uh, YouTube. It's really an amazing artifact. <laughs> and then, of course, after their show in San Francisco, um, Johnny Rotten quit. And it was Steve Jones, Paul Cook, and Sid Vicious. And they went down to Brazil to make the great rock and roll swindle with Julian Temple. And that whole sham of a production, I guess you could call it, because it was really Malcolm McLaren's attempt to put out a movie that took credit for the whole band and that it was all a gimmick. But the interesting thing about their sessions is the album, the great rock and roll swindle and the fact that they, uh, were able to get Ronnie Biggs, who was a train robber from the 1963, uh, 1963 great train robbery in England, who was a fugitive in Brazil at the time. And uh, I believe he did uh, No One Is Innocent and Belson Was a Gas. I believe he did those two songs. And I believe No One Is Innocent, I believe, went into the top, I think, top 20 in the UK, which is astounding. <laughs> and then, of course, you have all the labels they were on, EMI, A&M, and Virgin, and they sort of document their uh, trajectory through, or at least talk about their their EMI experience in the song EMI. But they were released from their contract and paid in full, paid to go away. So those are some of my thoughts about the Pistols. And they are a great band. And if you haven't heard that album, then there's no excuse. You should find it on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you get music, CDs or on vinyl. That is a great album, a definitive album. It's not like the other punk rock records from other groups that were called punk, I guess you could say. The Sex Pistols were really punk. I mean, you had... You know, the Ramones, you had Blondie, you had a lot of bands that were called punk, but I don't think all of them were punk. And I think in the United States, a lot of the whole punk scene sort of ended up in between Motorhead and the Ramones in some way. It wasn't like a real rock and roll, that vibe that uh, the Sex Pistols had. And of course, they sort of, you know, their influences were the Who and the Small Faces. So... Anyhow, check it out. And uh, thank you so much for listening to these little vignettes of information. Thank you for liking, listening, subscribing. Click the notification bell. And I will see you next week. Tell me your fantasy.
Eddie Starr's College of Rock and Roll Knowledge is a production of Ton Up Incorporated. Copyright 2020 Ton Up Incorporated.